Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world. Broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening. Jennifer Daniels, and you are listening to Healing with Dr. Daniels on the Rainbow Soul Network, Blake Radio. And today is July 7th, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And of course, I am broadcasting from China, which makes it 6 a.m. on July 8th. However, that does not change our topic for today, which is have you signed your life away? Yes, this is a very important question. It's a common joke, you know, uh, <laughs> in the United States. People find so many pieces of paper that it's entirely possible that they could be signing their life away and they don't know it. And I would like to suggest that by uh, purchasing health insurance, people have actually done that. They have actually signed their life away. And what does it mean to sign your life away? To sign your life away means to yield control over your body, over your daily activities, and even over your finances. And so the question is, have you placed your life, your life, as collateral against the debts of the insurance company? Have you obligated yourself to live by the insurance company's rules? If you have a health insurance policy, then you have signed ownership of your body over to the health insurance company. And so tonight I'm going to talk about that and and what that means, that you may have unwittingly placed yourself actually in bondage. People fight so hard for freedom and demand freedom and then sign themselves up for uh, a form of modern-day slavery. Of course, there are many forms of modern-day slavery, but this is just one. So, let's take a look at this. First of all, what, what's a? Always start with what's bondage, and then if we take it from that angle, then we can compare having uh, health insurance to having a bond, and that's really what 
uh, what the issue is. Now, another reason I got an idea for this uh, show was uh, my husband used to be a bounty hunter. That means that uh, he would go and apprehend people uh, who had failed to do something they promised, generally appearing in court, and that the individual that he would work for actually had or held the bond. And so he would literally go and apprehend a person uh, and deliver them physically to uh, an officer of the court. Now this is, I thought that was awfully extreme. And then he was explaining to me as he was watching a video on repossessing cars is that when he was apprehending these people, literally, he was repossessing their body because they had placed their physical body um, as collateral against, you could say, a loan or a pile of money. And so by creating that agreement, which is uh, taking out a bond, they agreed to be, to subject themselves to physical apprehension. I thought that was very interesting. I said, huh, could it be that health insurance subjects people to the same type of apprehension? That uh, the agreement itself um, creates a situation where people have created a structure where a third party has the right to literally take possession of their body with police force because of an agreement that they've made. All right, so first let's just take a look at what uh, what a bond is. This is very interesting, you know, because ordinarily I go to Webster's Dictionary to uh, get definitions. When it came to bonds, uh, Webster's Dictionary was pretty uh, pretty silent. And I actually had to go to a uh, financial uh, definition site. So we're going to talk about uh, a bail bondsman. So a bail bondsman or a bail bond is a situation where you place money that you lose when you fail to appear. This is important. So you, so you place money, and when you fail to appear, you lose that money. And in a health insurance situation, when you pay your monthly premiums to the insurance company and you fail to appear, I mean, appear in a doctor's office, in a hospital, or appear in a health setting, you forfeit that money. So far, directly analysis. Next, a bail bond guarantees your appearance at court. Generally, 
reason you have a bond is because the judge feels that you're likely not to show because if you did show, what's going to happen in court is likely to be pretty bad. In other words, you're likely to be sentenced, signed, or otherwise punished. Well, with your health insurance, you place this money every month, which you forfeit when you fail to appear. And when you do appear at a doctor's office, a hospital, a pharmacy, you end up being tortured. In other words, experiencing side effects from the medication, um, being cut with a scalpel, or otherwise harmed or even killed. And so you have this monthly bond that you're paying, uh, which you lose when you fail to appear. So your health insurance premiums that you pay, you don't get them back at the end of the at the end of the year, uh, no matter what you do. Now, there's a little difference between the health insurance bond that you've taken out on yourself. This is important. So you've taken out a bond, you've paid for the bond, and that bond entitles a third party to profit. Whereas at least with the court bond, you take out a bond, and when you appear, you get your money back, more or less. Sometimes there's fees with these bonds. So in the case of a health insurance bond that you've placed on yourself, you pay for the bond, and no matter what happens, whether you appear, whether you, when you don't appear, you lose the money totally and completely. When you do appear, some money, <laughs> the transfer of money. And so, in this way, it's worse. And when you do appear with the uh, bond, the health bond that you place on yourself called health insurance, when you do appear, you are always penalized. In other words, co-pay, deductible, co-insurance um, is a fixed uh, amount that you pay for each time you show up in the doctor's office. Co-insurance is a fixed percentage of the fee of the fee incurred that you pay. And a deductible is a amount before the insurance company kicks in, then you have something called disallowed. Um, the doctor will recommend something, you will do it, and the insurance company will say, oh, I'm sorry, we're not, uh, we're not covering that. And so when you do show up, just as in a real-life uh, criminal matter where a bond is issued, you suffer penalties generally. And so the court does not issue bonds for people it does not intend to penalize. <clears throat> because if it was the court's intention not to penalize a person, there would be no bond, of course. So the next question is, just as in the case of the court, so in the, in the case of the court, if you fail to appear, they can literally issue a bench warrant, issue a bench warrant for you uh, to have your physical body apprehended. And at that point, you lose total jurisdiction over your body and uh, the court's 
can administer interventions without your consent and against your will. So how does this play out in, in healthcare? Well, we see this in the news all the time when um, people have children, uh, and the, children, the question is the children being vaccinated, vaccination being a medical uh, procedure involving a needle, it's fairly painful and uh, filled with hazards, as a matter of fact. But when the parents show up in a doctor's office and say to the doctor, yeah, you know what, I'm not vaccinating, then basically a bench warrant can be and often is issued for the physical apprehension of that child. Now here's where it gets very interesting. Uh, A bench warrant or order for apprehension of the body, that means your body, and administration of intervention, we'll call it medical therapy, uh, often known as uh, torture, mutilation, and killing, against your will is almost never, or in my knowledge, never administered or never issued in the event where a person does not have insurance. This This is important. In other words, just as with the court, no one's going to come track you down for free. You have to have a bond in place, and you have to have somebody with the motive of profit in order for the apprehension, detainment, or repossession of your body or the body of your children to occur. I'll give you an I was a uh, regular day at the office, so I thought, and a husband and wife uh, came in with their little girl who was five months old and quite a bit underweight, and they said, you know, we uh, just want you to look her over and <laughs> recommend something. I thought this was just a routine office visit, although kid did look awful skinny to me. So I figured, well, you know, take care of the obvious here. Feed this kid. So I gave the mother instructions on how to get more food into the kid and turned out she was having, you know, engaged in some uh, you know, feeding practices that were not optimal. And so uh, they left the office. And all of a sudden, I started getting calls for the police. The police had shown up at their home to apprehend their child. Now, they had health insurance, health insurance through the government. We'll call it actually Medicaid. But uh, my office didn't accept Medicaid, so they paid cash for the visit. Now, they had gone to a prior doctor and had refused immunization, and that doctor had issued a equivalent of a bench warrant for their child to have their child apprehended and brought to a hospital for the purpose of vaccination. And this was in the old old days, back in the 90s, so this was quite something. And the police actually came to their home to apprehend their child. 
And uh, I happened to be at the office late that night. And when the phone rang, I answered it. And sure enough, it was a police officer on the phone saying, we are at the homes of Mr. and Mrs. Jones, and we have orders to uh, apprehend their child, but they say that you're that they took their child to your office today. I said, yeah, that's true. Well, do you think this child's life is in danger? I said, no, I don't. And uh, they do have a follow-up appointment. And so he says, okay, so they with the policeman to keep their follow-up appointment. And with that agreement, he determined that he would leave the home without apprehending their child. Now, had these people not had insurance, this scenario would not have played out. It's seriously important to remove yourself from bondage, to not place a bond on your head so that the police will not come to your door to physically apprehend you. Now, another uh, case that uh, came up, this came up when I was in, uh, in medical school, actually. An elderly man was actually a well-to-do. So, well, not fabulously rich, but wealthy enough where he had substantial inheritance to leave to his, uh, his children. And so he was in the hospital, and the hospital had uh, maximized their profit. And it was necessary to uh, somehow take another step in his care. And so it was necessary because he was somewhat incompetent to have his son intervene to sign some papers. His son refused to intervene. And because of that, the hospital was able to literally appropriate his financial resources slash net worth and just simply uh, drain him of his finances at the same time maintaining custody of and incarcerating his body. And in his particular case, he could not have gotten into the situation without insurance. It was the insurance that got him into the hospital in the first place and got various documents signed, placing him under and subordinate to the jurisdiction of the hospital. This would be like you going to the local um, jail and signing yourself in and signing a contract on admission, on entry, saying, I will leave only when the uh, warden says I can. And this is what insurance and what relating to the medical industrial complex has become. And so you need to think about yourself, about the contracts you may have signed, and what they mean. So the other thing is a person who has no bond, no health insurance, cannot be compelled by court to undergo any medical therapy. Why? Because the main purpose of compelling treatment is to financially buttress the medical industrial complex. Therefore, a judge cannot compel a facility to provide uncompensated care. This is care that is not paid for. And so people who are 
are considered poor, below the poverty line, can simply choose not to sign up for Medicaid. I would hazard a guess to say that people who are poor, who are in the Medicaid system, um, are in a tremendous uh, risk for harm um, in terms of prenatal care, in terms of vaccinations, and even in terms of what you might call medically unnecessary care. Because in case in the case of uh, Medicaid, you have an extreme conflict of interest. This would be like the um, the court issuing a bond, the individual paying for the bond, and then the court deciding at any time um, how much of the bond it will keep, even if and when the patient show, person shows up. Now, with the Medicaid person, a person who's poor, the whole transaction is laid bare. So because the uh, individual in Medicaid does not have uh, out-of-pocket dollar expense, the whole transaction is obvious. You simply are placing this individual under the care of the court slash government in perpetuity. So it's simply a power grab for control of the individual. And there are states where a person has to have Medicaid as a condition of receiving food stamps or housing or other things. And so essentially a person is placing themselves in bondage, under a bond, when they have not either committed a crime and are not under suspicion of a crime. And for people who are financially able to pay health insurance premiums, the transaction is a little more confused because the person believes that they're receiving a future promise of something that will improve their health or length of life, when unfortunately there's absolutely no evidence to that effect. And so what's happening then is you have a middle class, a wealthier person, they're actually making monthly payments to a bond they have placed on themselves, which they lose completely when they fail to show. However, when they do show, they not only lose the money, but they also receive torture and mutilation and possible killing. And so the same way um, people will become fugitives from the law, they'll, place a, they'll pay for a bond and then not show because they know that what's going to happen when they show up is far worse than just the loss of the money. This is uh, the situation with many people who pay insurance premiums every single month yet are actually afraid to access the medical industrial complex, afraid to show up for the so-called care Now, another concept to take a look at, and this concept was introduced to me in a, a warden. And actually, if I had not gone to warden, I would never have heard this term because it's not used very often. Because uh, if people were aware of this term, they would be indignant, and it would make the whole bonded situation rather obvious. But there's something called covered lives, covered lives. 
And an insurance company has covered lives that that's the number of individuals um, it has dominion over. And so here's an online definition. Covered lives are members owned by an insurance company. Get this, owned by an insurance company. These are people that the entity has been contracted for and is, in some way, financially responsible for health care. And this is, this is important, in some way, which means there is not a specific obligation on the part of the insurance company, but there is a specific obligation on the part of the member. The member is owned. There is a slight difference, however, um, because you can pay a premium every month and have one covered life, but if you have a spouse and dependents, then there's more covered lives involved. So literally, you can sign your whole family into bondage, which is what people unwittingly do. Now, I was exposed to the concept of covered lives uh, twice. Once in business school, where the term was defined, and in my insurance course, they were very clear that covered lives are the lifeblood of the insurance company. So an insurance company makes its money on covered lives, on ownership and control of the lives of these individuals. And so the insurance company owns these lives. These lives, that would be you if you're paying health insurance premiums, are the assets of the insurance company. And if any of these individuals engages in certain activities, it can make the insurance company less profitable. And so the, prof- the, the insurance company then has the authority to control and make rules about the behavior of its property, which is these covered lives. And it goes uh, even further than that. If you are an insurance company and you want to borrow money from the bank, what's your collateral? What's your collateral is the covered lives. Yes, the covered lives. And so what happens is the premiums that you pay each month, this bondage that you pay to bind yourself to the insurance company, is literally counted and measured uh, as an asset of the insurance company and as collateral for its debts. The concept of covered lives goes even further than that. Uh, and this is illustrated by my next encounter with the term. I was in medical practice and um, We had HMOs in the area. And there's one insurance company called Travelers. Travelers is big. They sell many types of insurance, but I'm just going to focus on the health insurance component because that's, you know, what what I experienced. So one day a Travelers person comes to my office and says, oh, Dr. Daniels, we've got a deal for you. We want you to sign a contract and uh, become a participating physician. I said, uh, hmm, well, you know, how much are you going to pay me? What, what are the rules? And he says, oh, well, the rules are very simple. Um, 
when a person comes to your office, you have to call to verify their eligibility. Uh, the card is meaningless. You don't pay any attention to the card. I said, oh, well, that's simple enough. It's a phone call. And then uh, this is the HMO. So we'll pay you $10 uh, a month whether the person shows up or not. Oh, okay. So basically then, uh, the insurance company was issuing cards to individuals who were paying this monthly fee bondage and coming to me saying, hey, their card is meaningless. It entitles them to nothing. And this is why, by the way, insurance companies have no problem sending out insurance cards in the mail uh, when you haven't even signed up yet. So uh, we thought this would be a, a simple matter. However, the first uh, traveler's patient showed up, and oh my God, it took us. And, and my front desk is very, very proactive, so they get the administrative stuff for the visits out of the way the day before. So the day before the traveler's individual is scheduled for visit, my office started calling travelers to verify their eligibility. After hours of calling and waiting on the phone, they could not verify the eligibility of the individual. And the time for the person's visit actually came, and still the eligibility was not verified. So, of course, the uh, covered life <laughs> was indignant when the covered life or insurance and of course our contract was that we could not uh, provide care unless and until their eligibility was verified. So of course the individual called their number in the back of their card and they were told don't worry you are, you are covered this card is good we called the number that we were given, of course, two different numbers. We were told, mm, this person's eligibility can't be verified. And so finally, we called our provider number and put the patient on the phone. <laughs> and, of course, that was a, a quite, the, uh, quite the conversation and discussion. But this was not the kind of atmosphere I wanted to have in my office. And there are many other rules that doctors have to follow. For example, many... Uh, Insurance companies go so far as to give a formulary. It means a list of drugs that are permitted and not permitted. And this list of drugs is determined basically by the insurance company's need to profit, to make money. And because this is a covered life, the property of the insurance company, uh, the insurance company basically has a blank check. Um, the insurance company can also uh, determine what services a person will get or will not get. Uh, again, all of this based on profitability. And this is another reason for the uh, death of 880,000 Americans every year at the hands of medical care. Which is so much of the medical care is in no way determined by the person's medical needs. And so you have uh, an insurance company making a trip. Um, amount of rules governing the person's actual care. So let's take a look at some of the uh, rules that these 
health insurance companies make. Okay. This is from the Oracle website, and uh, they're a health insurance, uh, and they say health insurance back office provider contracts. Now, these are contract contracts the patient never sees. And so this is what the uh, contracts can cover. And I tell you, they cover a lot more. Now, not specifically the Oracle contract, but the contracts I was uh, provided with and asked to sign when I was in medical practice actually included a gag order where the doctor was prohibited from discussing with the patient any services not covered under medical insurance plan. Of course, how could I know what that list was? I couldn't. Then, of course, there's another clause in the licensing contract saying failure to adhere to an insurance contract would mean I could lose my medical license. So you can imagine the stress with that one. And so the contract can cover fees. It can cover a fixed amount. Um, it can cover a formula calculation. It can cover a number of points. Each of them has a fixed fee. And the number of situations, fees are split. If more than one healthcare provider claims, claims part of the fee, for example, the cost for a specialist and the cost for the hospital, the fees can be split. Distinction between the provide, provision of a procedure and any repair or maintenance charge. And there can be administrative agreements covering the when the fees will be paid. Will they be paid in the same month, a month after, two months after? So you can imagine if the insurance company pays fees, pays a bill two months after the doctor submits it, then that basically means the insurance company uh, is creating a loan, a future obligation to pay the doctor. Also, uh, it covers requesting permission before certain procedures can be claimed. The restriction the size of amounts to be claimed, so that they determine how much the doctor or hospital gets paid. And the claim specification, that means how the claim is coded. And so they, they write a contract saying they're going to pay the doctor late, like a month or two in the future. And then they say when a claim cannot be settled on time, in other words, at the end of two months they pay the doctor nothing, they make an advance payment, which I can tell you is always a small portion of what the claim was. And here it's possible to configure what must be done when an advance payment is found to be too high after the claim has been settled. In other words, they can make an advance payment determine at the end of the process that the advance payment was too high and actually demand a refund from the doctor. And they're generously saying this excess amount can be collected immediately or it can be later deducted from future claims. And this is the stranglehold the insurance company has over the healthcare provider. And so what that means then is when the healthcare provider is in front of you, first and foremost in his mind is your insurance. Has to be. It's got to adhere to. 
And at the at the product level, that's your office visit, it's called a product, rules can be recorded as to whether the prior permission of the healthcare insurer is required before a procedure will be provided to the member. And of course, deviations from this rule can be configured that means penalized uh, differently for each individual healthcare provider. And volume agreements can be formulated to set maximum amounts of money for claims and either uh, amount paid or the number of claims that will be accepted for every healthcare provider for every period. So when you have insurance and your doctor and you call your doctor, you want a visit or a procedure, what's going on in your doctor's mind is, hmm, I'm only allowed to build the insurance company for 20 of these. This is one less that I'm able to do. And so, again, these are incredible calculations the doctor's going through. They have nothing to do, whatever, with your medical condition or your personal needs. It has to do with his hassle factor and if he thinks it's worth the extra hassle. And so then they go on to talk about settlement of claims. It can be done electronically or on paper or site. How private is that? And when a claim is settled, it always has the patient's name, identifying information, um, how much was charged, how much the uh, insurance company refused to pay but won't allow the doctor to charge the patient for, how much the company refused to pay but the doctor can charge the, pa- can charge the patient for, and on and on and on. So these are uh, rules that the health insurance companies make and are allowed to make and totally structure uh, the context and content of the actual office visit. Now, the insurance company can also specify who can be a healthcare provider where the healthcare provider can work, how it will cooperate and if it will cooperate with different providers, and of course umbrella uh, organizations. This is a lot of uh, a lot of determination on part of your provider, part of your 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 medical doctor, your surgeon, the hospital. These are all things that they are balancing and considering constantly in the background. And that's why back office provider contracts because these are back office contracts and agreements that are kept away from the eye of the of you, the person who's in bondage, of you, the covered life uh, that the insurance company is controlling. And a lot of people think that their doctor is controlling things and actually that's not the case. And of course, your doctor's bedside manner, hopefully it's a good one, it basically conceals all of this activity in the background. And if he's really good, you don't even realize it's uh, it's going on. Now, many doctors, uh, well, first of all, the other thing that's in these contracts is a gag clause. And when I was in practice, uh, when I first started the gag clause, and a gag clause means the doctor is not permitted to share with the patient 
the degree of intrusion the insurance company exercises into the medical experience. And, of course, there's a group contacts. That means contracts with groups of, uh, groups of physicians and So, what I really like is the individual contracts. Things have definitely evolved since I was in medical practice. And so they say, individual agreements with healthcare providers are supported by means of contracts. The types of agreements are the same as the possible agreements with occupational groups. The sets of agreements already formulated for occupational groups can easily be reused if required, in which case only the differences need to be specified. In addition, Authorization restrictions can be formulated if the healthcare provider may only provide healthcare in a certain geographical area. Provider contracts are assigned a status that indicates whether the contract has been signed and whether leniency will be applied if they're still unsigned. So again, the insurance company um, has an incredible uh, ability to uh, devastate or enhance a particular provider's practice. And um, this is, again, this is the back office what the individual who signed a healthcare contract is in bondage uh, is totally not aware of. And so that's uh, one end of the covered life. That's what they do to your doctor. Now, what has this got to you? Well, it turns out whenever you have a situation where the profits of a corporation are influenced by your behavior, in your dealings with the corporation, then the law gives that corporation corresponding authority to uh, control your actions. For example, in um, the case of insurance, there's something called moral hazards, which means the hazard that the covered life, the person in bondage, may act in a way that will profit the individual to the detriment of the insurance company. So, uh, the moral hazard, for example, in house insurance is a person might decide to set their house on fire in order to claim the insurance. Um, this is minimized in many ways by having a deductible, by, uh, of course, the person's contents, their personal belongings are in the home, so they're less likely to do it. So these are, these are issues. Well, in the case of health care or health insurance, unhealthy habits could cost clearing health a healthy chunk of money as the company tries to rein in rising health care costs. Of course, rising health care costs have really almost nothing to do with a person's health, as we've now entered the era of treating diseases that don't exist. Namely, uh, cholesterol, uh, AIDS, 
something controversial, and I think it's controversial, but diabetes and hypertension. I say diseases don't exist. Uh, I guess if diabetes and hypertension, we have to say therapies that are ineffective. That would be another way to put it. Okay, so starting in 2009, this is going on for some time, they'll begin charging workers extra for insurance if they let health risks such as smoking, obesity, or high cholesterol go unchecked. Hmm. And so we now know the latest uh, word on cholesterol is that the cholesterol level is unrelated to a person's health status and lowering it does not improve a person's health. And so with that information, we now see that health insurances have the authority to raise or char- your premium or charge you more for insurance if they determine that you smoke cigarettes, that you're overweight, or that your cholesterol is not being, is not being treated. And so we now know, we know, for example, that medical intervention is ineffective for treating obesity, totally ineffective. We know that therapy for cholesterol is of no benefit to the person receiving the therapy. We know this. And if you dig deeper into smoking, you know that Smoking itself is actually harmless if the cigarettes you're smoking are devoid of chemicals. And so then what we have then is we've given an insurance company the right to dominate the life of its covered lives, of the individuals paying its premiums. It's like, oh, well, you're paying us premiums and your behavior may use up funds and money could benefit other people. And so you're actually, your behavior is actually spending the money of your fellow coworkers. And therefore, now you're be, you have an obligation to behave in such a way, a way that we control, a way that we declare a way that we uh, indicate and make rules for. As you can see, these rules, especially in the area of smoking, obesity, and cholesterol, cannot be reasonably expected to improve a person's health. They're not reasonably related to a person's health. Yet, the insurance company is given authority to demand that a person show up, just like anyone has to show up in court, show up and receive these drugs, which constitutes basically torture, mutilation, and possibly even killing. And so the Indianapolis-based healthcare provider is not the only company to ask employees to shape up, but it's one of the few that's moving beyond the honor system. And so now and this is a very common thing, insurance companies, according to the Affordable Care Act, now have the authority to literally tell you what to eat, if and how much to exercise, and literally write out your whole plan for activity outside of your eight-hour workday. If that's not bondage and slavery, I don't know what is. 
Now, the law allows employers, and you can just add insurance companies to this, to use financial incentives in wellness programs. And the, I, the problem the issue with wellness programs is, again, what's wellness? And this is really a tremendous uh, sense of controversy. Now, if wellness is getting your blood pressure treated with drugs, if wellness is taking medications for your cholesterol, then these things are not, we know, having any impact on a person's length of life or quality of life. So to give an institution, let's say an insurance company, the authority to dictate a person's behavior in these areas to demand a person pay more money if they don't comply is simply to place the citizen in bondage to the insurance company. Of course, this obligation for bondage is created by the payment of monthly premiums and by um, signing a contract. And here's a person who cuts right to the chase. Jerry Sullivan, a Clarion computer analyst who smokes, says he didn't like the idea of certain workers being singled out for higher insurance rates. He says, I'm not real happy about it. It seems a little intrusive. <laughs> you think? So, simply by paying a monthly fee, you become a covered life. You become owned by the property of the insurance company. And this is, uh, I think, atrocious. Of course, what's the answer? What is the answer? Well, the answer is to stop paying your health insurance premiums. Doctor, what about the penalty? The penalty? Well, the penalty for not paying is what? $95 this year. And what's the penalty for paying? Well, the penalty for paying is obviously your health insurance premium, but the other penalty is putting yourself in bondage. The other penalty is entering uh, a relationship with a medical representative of the medical industrial complex. That would be a nurse, a doctor, or a hospital. And actually, you are owned by them. And so... The real penalty is what's your life worth? Is it worth $95? And that's if you plan to pay the penalty. But is it worth $95? You know, I haven't met those for you. I'm, I'm going to just uh, step out here on a limb and say, I think your life is worth $95. But that's a decision for you uh, to make. Hmm. And so, this is a point in the show where if people have questions, they can click on their little uh, thing on their pad. I can answer questions. I think it's really important for people to understand uh, what they're getting into, that they are being uh, placed into bondage, that they are being owned. Um, when a company can tell you 
that you have to have a tube up your butt or irradiate yourself with x-rays or inject yourself with known poisons in the form of vaccines, then you've really got a situation where you are definitely in bondage, where you are the servant. This thing that you're paying for is not something that you are controlling for your benefit, but something that's controlling you for its benefit. You literally have got the tail wagging the dog. And the um, amazing thing about it is that it's something that you can totally avoid, that you absolutely have control over. So, okay, one question is, well, how can I avoid this? You can avoid it by not paying health insurance premiums. And if you have more than one health insurance policy, at least drop as many of them as you can. Um, say, oh, Dr. Daniels, you know, what if I have a big illness? What if I have cancer? Okay. So many of you, if you listen to my prior shows, the cancer scandal, you realize the scandal about cancer is at least half of those diagnosed with cancer would live a full life without any intervention or therapy at all. But putting that aside, uh, if you really need information, then contact your insurance company. Say, hey, I want a copy of the agreement that my doctor or his group has signed with you. I want a copy of that contract. I use the XYZ Hospital. I want a copy of that contract. I want to read the contract that you have with the XYZ Hospital. Now, the contract with the XYZ Hospital has a lot of terms in it, like contractual allowance. And the contractual allowance means that if the hospital would charge you a dollar for something, then it will only charge your insurance company 40 cents. It's price discrimination. So if you showed up at the hospital uh, for a procedure and you only had to pay 40 cents on the dollar, you might not need health insurance. And so really your health insurance is not doing anything for you. It's not really um, helping you. And that's what they don't want you to know. So definitely get a, uh, you know, get a copy of that. And see what's really going on. If you have a doubt about what I'm telling you, and actually I had to say to tell you, it's probably even worse than what I'm telling you. Things I'm sure have have, have progressed. Um, but get a copy of those of those contracts. Know what you're getting into. Also, go back and read the contract that you have with your insurance company. You want to read the basic contracts you want to know are the contract your insurance company has with the providers that you see. So what's their pharmacy contract say? What does their hospital contract say? And what does their doctor contract say? And if they have a contract with your employer, what does that contract say? And once you put this picture together, it's pretty clear that you are a subject, as in subject of the king. 
and uh, the decisions, and you're not the one uh, making the rules. Now, as many of you know, I'm, I'm in China. Even though I have VPN and all kinds of technology here, um, I cannot see the chat room, which means I cannot see the questions. So I'll have to uh, ask you for forgiveness on that one. Um, I'll be back in Panama with... Uh, I never thought I would say it. Better internet <laughs> accessibility. So... Um, The important thing to, to understand is, first of all, if you have health insurance, you're really putting out a pretty penny. Um, I think the cheapest policy in the States might be $200 a month, and that's for a young, single, 20-something. And they go as high, high as I've heard of it's $4,000 a month. So why put out $4,000 a month on something that binds you, bonds you, enslaves you to something you're not fully aware of? So, if you're going to have insurance, you need to know what those what what the contractual obligations are, and so you need to know what is it your doctor is obligated to do because he's taking your insurance. So get a copy of that contract. You can ask the doctor for a copy. A lot of times he will have a copy because he's going to follow this, and he may even refer back to it from time to time. So ask him if he can give you a copy. A lot of times the insurance company prohibits him from giving you a copy. Number one. In which case, you have to go to the insurance company to get a copy. With the hospital, um, you can ask the hospital for a copy or you can ask the insurance company for a copy. At the insurance commissioner in your state because they, they have to have those contacts on file with the insurance commissioner. But you need to understand the web of rules that are actually controlling your life. Well, that's it for this week. We'll see you again next week with another interesting, exciting episode about yet another dimension of your existence without, hopefully, without the medical industrial complex. Actually, next week is probiotics. We're going to talk about probiotics, namely uh, kefir, the good, the bad, and of course, the ugly. A lot of good there and a lot of bad there. So we're going to talk about that and we'll see you next week. <laughs>